So a priest, a Pentecostal preacher, and a rabbi all served as chaplains to the students of the university. And they would get together two or three times a week for coffee and a talk shop. One day, someone made the comment that preaching people isn't really all that hard. A real challenge would be to preach to a bear. One thing led to another, and they decided to each go out into the woods, find a bear, preach to it, and attempt to convert it. Seven days later, they all came together to discuss their experiences. Father Flannery had his arm in a sling, was on crutches, and had various bandages on bottom. He went first. Well, he said, I went into the woods, and when I found a bear, I began to read to him from the catechism. That bear wanted nothing to do with the catechism and he began to slap me around. So I quickly grabbed the holy water, sprinkled him, and holy Mary, mother of God, he became as gentle as a lamb. The bishop is coming out next week to confirm. <laughs> Reverend Billy Bob spoke next. He was in a wheelchair and had one arm and both legs in casts. In his best fire and brimstone voice, he claimed, well, brothers, you know that we don't sprinkle. I went out and I found me a bear. And then I began to read to the, the bear from God's holy word. But that bear wanted nothing to do with me. So I took hold of him and we began to wrestle and we wrestled down one hill and up another and down another until we came to a creek. So I dumped him and baptized his hairy soul. And just like you said, Father, he became as gentle as a lamb. We spent the rest of the day praising Jesus and now he's coming to Wednesday evening Bible study. <laughs> the priest and the preacher looked down at the rabbi who was lying in the hospital bed. He was in body cast and in traction with IVs running in both arms. Summoning his strength, the rabbi looked up and whispered. Looking back on it, circumcision may not have been the best way to start. <laughs>
the renewal movement in the 70s and what, what woke the church to the work of the Holy Spirit. The charismatic movement had its problems, but it freed up the church to begin teaching and talking about life in the Spirit. We began to learn how to be God's hands and feet in the world, how to respond to the movement of the Spirit, how to cooperate with God's dream for the world. So today, as we prepare to celebrate the work of the Holy Spirit on Pentecost, I'd like to offer four steps that I believe help us to be co-creators with God in the world, how to live in the Spirit. So step one in life in the Spirit is surrender. Surrender may be heard in a negative way. In the military, it means giving up, losing being humiliated, allowing yourself to be controlled by another. But in the spiritual life, to surrender calls us to trust God, to trust that we are loved, to trust God will not use us or take advantage of us. It means to believe that God has only our best interests at heart. When we surrender, we learn to rely on God, to lean on God. We learn to believe that anything that God asks us to do will only be for the good of the reign of God, that it will be part of God's dream and will be coming out of God's heart of love. In surrender, you get to say yes or no. We have a gracious God who will not force God's way into our life and will only use us with our invitation. When one is surrendered, what does a call to act for God feel like? I call them holy nudges. It's a fleeting urge to act in a certain way. Jean-Bierre de Cossard, a, Jew, a Jesuit ordained in 1708 in France, speaks of those who receive those nudges like this. They are aware only of an urge to act without necessarily knowing why. They have an urge to write, to read, to question, to act. They obey this urge, and God, who inspires it, supplies them with a store of knowledge which they are able to use to the advantage of themselves and others. When we love God, we wish to be the instrument of God's action so that God's love can operate in and through us. Step two. Allow. The Holy Spirit's ministry is similar to the flow of a river, an unbroken stream, a constant movement. Jesus made this comparison of the Holy Spirit and a river in John's Gospel. He said, He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. John continues, This he spoke concerning the Spirit. Water is one of the symbols used to describe the movement of the Holy Spirit. So life and spirit includes allowing the Spirit, the river of life, to flow through us. Say yes to the holy nudges of the Spirit when they come. Step three, listen. This means we begin to listen for God's voice. You younger people won't recognize this image, but I think it's the perfect illustration of listening to God. 
Years ago, RCA Victor had a logo for its advertisements. It was taken from a, a painting done in the 1800s. And it was a picture of a Jack Russell Terrier sitting with head tilted towards a wind-up gramophone as though he were listening to the music. It was titled, His Master's Voice. In the same way, life in the Spirit calls us to keep our ear tilted towards God, listening for the guidance, the wisdom, the holy nudges of the Spirit. People ask me, how can I tell the difference between God's voice and another voice? And I say, practice. Pay attention to the tone of the voice and how you feel interior when you hear it. If what you hear results in turmoil, fear, anxiety, hurt, depression, it's not the voice of the Spirit. If it results in feelings of love and hope and promise and peace and encouragement, it's the voice of the heart of God. As we continue to listen and respond, we become more and more familiar with God's voice. We begin to recognize which leads to step four of life of the Spirit, act. Once we hear the nudge and are fairly certain that it is coming from God, then we respond to the nudge. We do what God calls us to do. One incident in my life sticks out as the moment I learned to follow that nudge, even when it led me out of my even when I didn't understand why. Those who have come to my adult ed class have heard this story, but I share it because I think it might be helpful for the rest of you. It's the lesson, the experience that taught me, really taught me how to listen and to respond to the nudge. And so I'm going to tell you a story about my friend Pat. When I was a lay person, I was a lay Eucharistic minister, and I took communion to the shed. And the particular day when I was scheduled to take Pat his communion, I was praying for him in the morning. And as I prayed, I got one of those holy nudges. Go buy a hook rug kit and take it to Pat. Now you have to understand that Pat was debilitated hands were gnarled and bent, and, and he really couldn't do anything with his hands. And so when this nudge came to me, I just was horrified. And I thought to myself, how could I, supposedly a person who wants to be kind, would think, why would I ever in the world think of taking that hook rub kit to a man whose hands were gnarled and who obviously couldn't do it. I don't know if any of you know about hook rug, but it, it's on a plastic sort of a grid with little hollow squares. And you have a, a latch hook with a wooden handle, and you put the hook in one hole and out the other, wrap yarn around the hook, and then pull it through. It's a very complicated thing to do. And with a man like him, like that, it would be impossible. I absolutely was horrified, and so I continued my prayer trying to push that down. I can't do it. 
believe I thought it, and I'm not going to think it anymore. But the more I prayed, the stronger the desire, the, the, the nudge came. And so I was disgusted with myself, but I said to God, all right, all right, I'll go and I'll look at it. And so I drove to the nearest craft store, which was just a few blocks away, and was in a strip mall. And when I pulled into the parking lot, there was only one place available, one parking space, right in front of the crash shop. And when I pulled in, turned the motor off, and looked up, in the window of the craft store was a big old sign that said, all hook rug kits 50% off. So I said, all right, all right, I'll do it. It just does not make any sense to me. So I went and bought the prettiest one I could find, took it home and wrapped it, and then went to my appointment with Pat. And when I got there, I sat at her herb in my car for quite a while, trying to talk myself into to actually doing what I was called to do. Oh, I just, I'm going to do it. I, I, what, you know. Anyway, I finally got the courage of to walk up to the door. And Pat's wife answered the door, and she ushered me into the bedroom. Pat spent most of his time. And together, they unwrapped the gift. I'm telling you, that was the longest time I can remember. And I just, oh my God, it was endless. And I was so nervous about it. And when they got the wrapping off, there was dead silence. And I thought, oh boy, I really blew it. And I just don't know what I'm going to say, you know, in response to their upset. His wife looked up and she said to me, how did you know? How did I know? She said, Pat and I have always wanted to do a hookup, and we just never got around to it. Pat died about six months later, and when he died, his wife sent me a beautiful card with a note in it. She said, you know, when you brought that hookup, we decided every day I would come and sit next to him in bed. And I worked on the hook road kit. And we talked about all the adventures of our life. And we talked about our kids and all the blessings that we had experienced together. And she thanked me for bringing that hook road kit because it provided the opportunity for them to have some beautiful months together at the end of his life. So life in the spirit, surrender, allow, listen, and act. As we prepare for our annual celebration of life in the spirit, may we rededicate ourselves to surrendering, allowing, listening, and acting. And we will be like a mighty river of love, and we can change Amen.